One of the things I've found, and especially with my female clients, is that sometimes you're told as a girl, like, don't try to be number one. Like, calm down, be polite, be sweet. <laughs> well, as a kid, I was the one flipping the game boards over if I didn't win. Hi, my name's Kurt Mercadante, and I'm a husband, father, speaker, trainer, and disruptive entrepreneur whose mission is to save the world by helping individuals fight for lives of freedom and fulfillment. And that's what this show is about. We're here to help you fight apathy and conformity in your life. We're here to interview and tell the stories of individuals around the world who are helping others live lives of freedom and fulfillment as well. This is the Freedom Club Podcast, and we're grateful you're here. And this is the Freedom Club Podcast. How the hell are you all doing today? And if your day isn't filled with abundance, isn't filled with freedom, if you don't have the freedom and fulfillment you desire and deserve in your life, it's time to make a change. And guess what? I have something for you. It's called Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle. It is my new book. It is an Amazon best seller. You can find it on Amazon or you can go to fivepillarsoffreedom.com today. Check it out. It gives you the roadmap in the form of the five pillars that you can adapt to your life to build that life of freedom and fulfillment you absolutely desire and deserve. You don't have to be confined to a lifestyle by default. Now, on today's program, we talk in more detail about the first pillar of the freedom lifestyle. That's superpowers. As you know, I talk a lot about strengths. I'm a strengths, uh, a Gallup certified strengths trainer. And you hear me talk about it a lot, but guess what? Today we have another Gallup certified strengths trainer, Katie Stedman. Her company is called Tribe. You get to hear her take on strengths as well. And you get to hear two strengths nerd talk about it. StrengthsFinder is so important. It was so important to me scaling up my company. And yes, it is now part of the first pillar of the freedom lifestyle, which is unleashing your superpowers. Because as we'll discuss today, when you work in that strength zone, when you get into your superpower zone every day, you're more efficient, you're more productive, you're more profitable, you have a better quality of life. Why is that the case? Listen to my interview today with Katie Stedman. Again, her company is called Tribe, a force to be reckoned with in the field of human development. Katie's enthusiastic and passionate approach to unleashing human potential sends shockwaves through organizations to bring about explosive, powerful, and sustainable change. Her years of experience in executive leadership, entrepreneurship, and community development have positioned her to bring a unique and multifaceted approach to the art of leadership development and culture creation within organizations and communities. Her mission is to revolutionize the average workplace. She brings an out-of-the-box, empowering, kick-ass, strategic approach to growth and development. Emphasizing the need to place the focus on the humans within the organization, Katie is a strategic partner and catalyst for maximizing talent, transforming culture, and elevating performance. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Katie Stedman. All right, Katie Stedman, thanks so much for joining us on the Freedom Club podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. 
Absolutely. And, you know, uh, you and I are two strengths nerds. We could probably talk all the time about strengths. And I, <laughs> I talk people, you know, regular listeners of this show are like, oh, here, Kurt's going to talk about strengths again or superpowers or yada, yada, yada. So it's time to have someone else talk about strengths with a fresh view who probably actually knows what they're talking about more than I do. So thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> oh, hey, anytime. Yes. Like you said, if we get to talk about strengths, I'm in. I will talk all day. So you have to tell me when to, it's time to stop. it's interesting because I I get the question a lot uh, from people I coach or train, you know, um, do you feel that your Gallup certification is important in building your business was important, you know, vital to having you do it. And I always, I always tell them, well, it's it's kind of a two part question. I don't know that anyone, maybe one person out of a hundred has ever asked me about my certification. Yeah. However, the process of going through the certification, the, the knowledge that comes with it, I mean, StrengthsFinder in general was so enriching to me personally yeah. that it was invaluable to my journey, not necessarily, could I have built my business without it? So I, I'd love to hear what you have to say too as an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of stumbled into this whole strengths world kind of in a strange manner. I took the strengths assessment for the first time, I think it was back in probably 2011 or so. So it was a long time ago. And I was just an employee at an organization. I was working in a nonprofit and I'd always been fascinated by personal development, leadership development, human development, and all this. And my boss asked us to all take it. So I took it and I got my results. And I honestly hated my results because I thought I was kind of mean and just focused on the bottom line. And I thought I would have a very different outcome in terms of my assessment results. But as I worked with the tool over the past, you know, however many years since then, I guess eight years, it has just, like you said, been so impactful and transformational for me as a person that as I went through my career, I always tried to implement it on some form or fashion with coworkers just to try to understand them better. And then I became the CEO of a chamber of commerce where I actually had an opportunity to work with leaders in a community, uh, leaders on my board of directors. And I had a leadership program that I brought in a coach for the Clifton Strengths Assessment <clears throat> to work with this group of about 15 to 20 local leaders as their kickoff to a local leadership program to say, let's figure out who you are as leaders before we unleash you back into the community to understand you know, all these different elements of education and healthcare and poverty and all of this. So I thought it was going to be a great foundation. And so we brought this person in and he was wonderful and we paid him. And I sat at my desk after writing the check going, I love that we brought him in, but our whole community needs this all the time. And I don't want to be at the mercy of trying to find a coach to come in and work with our community. So I ended up going to our board and saying, what would you think about me becoming a certified coach to use my position as a chamber CEO to start working with local businesses, with our leaders in the community? And they graciously said yes. So Off I went to that week-long training session that Gallup offers to do the real intensive work. And like you said, the process of going through that training was just, I would not trade it for anything in the world because... I thought I had a pretty good grasp on the purpose, the function of the assessment, but what that training process did in terms of helping me understand it at a deeper level, helping me understand how to engage people with conversations that would actually help them in their transformation, helping teams um, get to their goals and aspirations, helping to transform organizations from the inside out. I don't think I would have gotten there in the same path or at the same speed without that certification. So for me... 
I love what it has done to give me the confidence that when I go into an organization, I'm not just hoping I've got this figured out. I actually have the Gallup kind of blessing to say, we've talked through not just, oh, these are 34 strengths, but what do you do with them? How do you use them? How do you have these conversations? So I've, I've sat through some leadership sessions that have been executed by a non-certified person who was just familiar with it. And there was a, just a drastic difference in the full level of understanding how to lead those conversations. So as an entrepreneur, for me, I wouldn't feel good walking into a situation without saying, yes, I've done the work. I've put in the time to make sure that I know how to engage you in a way that is actually beneficial. Yeah, I see. I see a number of, um, and I didn't really, I didn't really realize it until after I got my certification. The number of people out there who say they're strengths coaches who are not certified, and just that that yeah. week of immersion and discussion. We had, I did mine in Jacksonville, and there had been a a hurricane a week or two before, and oh, wow. so we only had seven eight people in the group mm. when they, they said they, they, there's sometimes, you know, a room full of it. So yeah. it was, it was basically like a week long retreat, yes. which was so interesting. You have that immersion. Was yours, did you have a big group when you went or? So I did mine in New York city and it was oh, wow. about 20 people. I think it was okay. about 20, but it was the same feeling. I mean, we mm. were literally, now I cry a lot anyway, but I was literally in tears by the end of the week when we were saying goodbye to each other because the vulnerability and authenticity of the conversations when you're going through that process of talking about your own strengths, because it's basically like a week of getting coached in addition right. to learning how to be a coach. You know, by the time we finished up that week, I actually was joking with some of my uh, comrades in the group that we didn't even need planes to fly home because we just had these superpowers to borrow your term. But like, <laughs> I have the power of flight. I've never felt more empowered and seen and known in my whole life. So no, that it was such an intimate process and Gallup does such a good job of really intentionally investing in their people so that they feel like they are well-rounded and well-versed in their own strengths too, which I appreciate because I think sometimes you can kind of wield a weapon and not really be prepared for that. And so I think the fact that they really invest in the coaches as people first, which is the whole premise of the entire thing, right? Is to empower individual players. And then they release us and empower us to go out and then use that tool intentionally to help other people. So yeah, I, if, even if I had done certification from it, the week of just time with those people would be something I would never, never train. Worth it. Yes. hundred percent. I'm, I'm, I'm not familiar with strengths at all. Okay. You're talking to someone who's never been on this podcast before. Yeah. What the heck is strengths finder? What's it all about? Yeah. So I have to answer that question like every week when I go before <laughs> a group of employees at a random organization and have this conversation of why are we sitting here? Why have I been trapped in a room with some weird lady for four hours? I've got all this work to do. My boss told me to be here. So usually the way I kind of describe it is, you know, we all have these patterns of thought and behavior and ways of showing up in the world that we do without even knowing that we're doing it, right? It's just how we show up. And we often just brush it off as, oh, that's just me or isn't everybody this way. And so we have this way that we behave. And then when we think about talents, which is another way of describing strengths, usually we always go mentally towards skills, things that we can identify on the surface. You know, oh, you can paint, you can do math, you're athletic. And so we have this kind of great crevice, this great divide between how we show up in the world and what we can do in the world. And so the what we can do in the world is usually what people put a lot of their time and attention to of, I've identified this strength, 
my child's good at math, so we're going to do more math or we're going to teach them how to play right. piano. But how they behave and how they function, how they think, their ways of strategically thinking, their ways of building relationships, their ways of getting things done are often just kind of overlooked because it's just them. And so the way I usually describe it is we're redefining what a talent is at a deeper level. So instead of looking at the surface, what can you do? What are your skills? It's how do you think and how do you behave that's consistent, that is something that can actually be identified and even further named. And so the fact that you can empathize with someone else and you understand the emotion that that person is exuding or feeling, you can understand the unspoken. If someone has that high empathetic ability, we don't usually put a name around that and say, wow, you really have an incredible ability to be empathetic. You have the strength of empathy. And so we don't ever get the opportunity to appreciate or develop that ability that they have, even though it's just as much a talent as the skill is that we would identify on the surface. And so when we go through this assessment, we get this list of very clearly defined language that identifies those ways that we show up in the world that have usually not been appreciated, that haven't been identified, that we may never have even known is something that we could invest in. And it gives us that opportunity to explain it to even to ourselves of, oh, that's why I X, Y, Z. So for example, competition is one of my top five strengths. I always knew I was competitive, but I never realized that the ability to understand who the competition is in a room, to know inherently what the standard of excellence is, to drive for constant self-improvement was actually a talent. I thought that was just a tendency. And so when I reframed that and someone said, actually, this piece of paper said, you have competition as a strength and a talent, I immediately went to work on thinking, that's always been part of me. So what do I do with that? How am I using that intentionally to advance my life, to impact other people? And now I can have a conversation with you or with anybody saying, actually, one of the things I bring to an organization, to my family, to my way of thinking is this strength called competition. And here's what that means. So for me, strengths gives the opportunity for people to have language to identify who they are, how they show up in the world that's separate from that skill, separate from that what you can do that allows you to engage in an intentional way with the people around you. What about um, weaknesses? And, and um, you know, a lot of people are so used to the deficit-based development, whether it's at work, whether it's what Gallup has a, a statistic. I read about it in my book. Uh, I probably wrote it poorly, but 77% of parents, I believe in the U S think that a kid or their kid or kids should focus almost solely on the subjects in which they perform worst instead of the right. ones, what they do best. Right. And I bring that up and some people are like, right, but if you suck at math, you should focus on math. And I use the example of Usain Bolt. Like what if he, uh, his, uh, Hey, you're saying your hundred meter time is awesome, but your mile time sucks. So you're not going to be allowed to run a hundred meters. You're going to run and people laugh, but it's kind of like, that's what we do on a regular basis. Right. Yeah, we absolutely do. I know I was in a group setting and as a strengths coach, you would think I would be better at this, but as a mom, the question (laughs) was asked, if your child brings home the report card and it's all A's and one C, where does your eye go? 
Where do you right. focus? Well, everybody's like the C, hello, like that's where we're failing. That's where we need to focus. And that is absolutely how we are all trained is to look at what we're not naturally great at and figure out how to get better. But the problem with that is, and there's nothing wrong with self-improvement, right? We're all on a constant path of evolution and trying to improve. But when we are spending energy, which we have limited amounts of, on things that we don't have a natural tendency to be good at, we can improve, but the rate at which we do is very incremental. And it's usually frustrating where we get a little bit better at a time, a little bit better at a time. But when we invest that same amount of energy in an area where we have some tendencies to be successful just naturally, then it's that exponential growth. And so it's not an, you know, this or that. It's not that we have to abandon trying to improve areas that we wish we were better at. But if we focus the majority of our intention on those areas of strength, those areas of talent, again, being defined as how we think, how we behave, and how we show up in the world, we can make so much progress that it often kind of overshadows what those weaknesses are. Or we can get to a solution that is going to be so much more effective, long-lasting, authentic, and um, you know something we can repeat time after time by using a strengths-based approach to solving deficiencies. Because strengths can make up for a whole a lot of weaknesses right. versus abandoning our strengths and trying to make this frustrating progress along a very, very long, frustrating road where we're never going to get to a point of excellence. We're just going to get maybe to baseline, a mediocre way of living, which is not where any of us want to live. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about doubling down on your strengths. And he was on the Joe Rogan. I think it was the Joe Rogan. Maybe it wasn't. But, and he said, you know, you should be. And schools are going this direction, which I think is, is a problem. And, you know, you worked in the chamber world. I worked in the chamber world. And, you know, one problem I always had was the push toward uh, creating an army of bots and the yeah. standardization. Because, uh, you know, as one thing Gary says is, you know, doubling down in your strengths, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be competent and everything. But the poet doesn't have to be a math genius and the math genius doesn't have to be a poet. And, you know, we know some folks who they go out of their way to, and, and the kid feels like something's wrong with them because they have a math disability or something like that. Um, my daughter right now is going through, we talked offline, she's going through a co-op and one of the classes is psychology yeah. And I said, well, run that by me because there's, you know, there's a lot of different avenues where you could go, you know, and sure. they're taking Myers-Briggs. Okay. And I don't really agree as a strengths coach, you know, applying that, how they're doing it because mm -hmm. they do the Myers-Briggs. There's, there's a website she went to, and then it shows you all these celebrities who are, have the similar pieces and one of the things that I see with strengths, I've, I've seen this um, where I, when I've coached people with it, is they're looking to find kind of their strengths twin. And I remember yeah. one person said to me, I'm doing all this research to find other people who had my strengths okay. uh, to see how they monetized it. And oh. I was like, you know, I don't think that's the way to look at it and had to peel back, you know, it's like you said, it's not a skill. Yeah. And if you have learner mm -hmm. and I have learner, we may use that. That may, you know, be used in very different ways. And so my daughter, it was almost this making her upset because she didn't like the celebrity they named that uh, was also 
judgmental or whatever it is and, and all that. And it just, as we were talking and as you were just describing it, my daughter and I was ha- were having this discussion today about Myers-Briggs and the psychology of it. And it almost, the way they presented it almost made you feel bad about what you were. Yes. Well, and that's why, you know, when I'm up there explaining what strengths is and, or if I encounter resistance, which you and I were both kind of talking about offline of people who have done every sort of assessment, every leadership development tool, every personality test, and they go, I know I'm this, I know I'm, I think this way, I know I'm an extroverted person. What is this going to show me? And what I love about this is that it does not relabel someone and put them back in another box, Mm. which sometimes I feel like assessments do, which I love all of them. I feel like they all have their thought. But what I like about this one is that it releases you from the definitions where it gives you definitions of pieces of you instead of you. You are not your strengths. You have your strengths. And so the likelihood, you know, that any other person, which I know, you know, the statistic, but it always blows me away that any person on the face of the earth has the same top five strengths that you or I have is one in 33 million people. So there are no strengths twins, really. And even if there were, then you add personal experience, religious background, family history, and you're still this incredibly unique, perfectly crafted person that does not need to be identified as anything, but released, released to be exactly who you are into whatever life story you're crafting. You know, you're a genius at talking about people finding their freedom and fulfillment. Well, that looks different to everybody and their strengths should be a supportive measure for them to experience that definition. So whatever job they choose to do, however they choose to have their family, what relationships they engage in, you know, these are not predicted by their strengths. They should be supported and amplified by them. And so for me, this is a very freeing tool that again, removes labels and just empowers. Um, the, uh, I had one of my very first clients, he, uh, took it, took the assessment and we did all 34 and he came out that his top was, I mean, like jam packed in the top uh, relationship building. Mm -hmm. And he said, there's no way, there's no way I'm relationship building. I'm an introvert and I'm shy. Okay. Okay. All right. So we worked together. It was back when I was doing one-on-one coaching. We worked together one-on-one for nine weeks Mm -hmm. over that time. He started investing in that strength. Yep. First, it was kind of networking, putting out content, inviting people to the, on LinkedIn. Then it was people in his community. Then it was going out. It was, you could tell it was his strength, not just from the assessment, but yes. you know, you know, when you, when you light a match and the kindling is dry and it just takes off, yes. he, he got to the point where now he had been unhappy in his job. He worked in a government job in a cubicle where he didn't talk to anyone. Oh, what no, it turned out was I- that, yeah. <laughs> His parents, his teachers, his bosses always told him he was shy and an introvert. He came to believe it. But what happened was it got so he would get up in the middle of the day to go shopping simply so he could talk to people during the middle of the day and break up the day. Then he wanted to get, now he wanted to get out of that job because he, he realized I can't. And he wanted to get into real estate. I said, oh, you want to flip? like flip homes. And he said, no, I want to rent to people. I said, Oh, okay. Ongoing like money, you know, recurring income. He said, yeah, that's nice. But when I rent to people, that means I'm going to make new friends as I rent to people. And I'm like, I've never heard that ever from anyone in real estate ever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that, that it was, it, 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 as a coach, you know, you go through the training, you go through the assessment and it's like that, the amount of people, the millions of people who have been told 
to believe something that they're not. Have you ever seen that as you do these assessments with folks that they have these limiting beliefs of, of someone that is completely not even them? A hundred percent. Or uh, one of the things I've found a lot, and especially with my female clients, is that one of their strengths that comes back on paper, their reaction is, I've been apologizing for this my whole life. I thought this was a problem. I thought this was my vulnerability. Like for me with competition, you know, sometimes you're told, which I think less now, but sometimes you're told as a girl, like, don't try to be number one, like calm down, be polite, be sweet. (laughs) Well, as a kid, I was the one flipping the game boards over on game night if I didn't win. And so I kind of learned that that talent, which of course was raw, maybe not expressed in the best way, was something that I should always downplay. Hmm. And I hear that a lot in clients who are going, oh, I thought the fact that I was empathetic was really a vulnerability and that I had too many emotions or I could sense too many and that made me weak. So I've been working on you know, preventing that from having a voice in my life. And so, yes, it's like a limiting belief of their identity being so misconstrued and so misunderstood that they've been trying to prevent who they are from showing or believing in your example that they are actually someone completely different. And so it's very, you know, eye-opening and often very liberating for people to see on this assessment that doesn't know history, that has no assumptions, that has no expectations of human behavior, just for them to read this reflection of themselves and to go, oh my gosh, like if I really get honest, this is who I am or who I want to be that I didn't realize was okay. And so it kind of gives the person permission to reinvest and start going through what that talent looks like to turn it into a strength. And it kind of changes their story and their trajectory often where they get unleashed back into the dialogue and the narrative that they wanted to have all along. For those listening, you know, if you go to, well, I think they just changed the website, didn't they? It was strengthsfinder.com and they just changed the website and I can't remember yeah. what it was, but. You can go to gallopstrengthcenter.com and okay. it reroutes to, I think, just gallop.com, but that's the one I always send people to. And I got there this morning and it took me to the right spot. So Gallup it went, Yeah. They changed their website regularly. Um, yeah. The. So when you take the assessment, you know, if you take the, you take your signature theme report, get your signature theme report, that's five, but every human is born with 34 Mm -hmm. and everyone has them. Like you said, you know, people constantly want to focus on their weaknesses. And when you take the 34, uh, most people that I've had take it, look right at the bottom four and are like, that's my, those are my weaknesses. And they're not, they're just strengths that are less available to you. Yes. (laughs) So, um, Let's, you're working with someone, they take it and they're in a job where let's say they need their relationship building strengths or they, they think they need relationship building strengths, but the relationship building are bottom 10 mm-hmm. on the report or they're not in their top five. Yeah. And they think their first thing is, well, that's it. I got to quit my job. I don't have yeah. those relationship building strengths. What do you tell someone like that? Yeah. So I'll give you an example. So it's not relationship building that they were after, but I'm actually coaching within an organization. They have 400 employees. So I've got a big job ahead of me, but one of them is in a like mid-level management position. And he came to me the other day and he said, you know, I don't have any influencing themes in my top several and I have to be influential. I have a lot of people that are relying on me. I have to be able to tell them with great authority the path that we're going to be on. And I I can't, I just don't know how to influence. And so he was kind of in that just place of despair of like, I'm going to have to change who I am. Well, in his top are two interesting strengths. He has analytical 
and he has Relator. So he is all about data and he is all about good intentional conversations with a small group of people. And so he has these goals and these things that he wants to influence the group to do. And so what I challenged him to do was instead of saying, let's look at what's deficient, let's look at what's really powerful and available to you, which is the whole premise of strengths, right? And how do we cobble together a strategy with the tools that you have at the ready that looks a whole lot like influence. Even though we may not say, oh, it's an influencing talent. I've got command. I have communication. I have all these things. We don't need those because you need to be who you are as a leader in order to elicit followership. Like a leader is only defined as somebody who has someone following them, right? I mean, you can be a sucky leader, but if no one's behind you, you're not. (laughs) And so my goal to him was, I just said, hey, you love data, you love spreadsheets, and you love great conversations. What if your process starts looking like where you make it a, like a regimented system where you go through and you have those one-on-one conversations with your people where you're asking how they're doing, how their family is, what their biggest struggles are in their job, how they could be improved. And you plug that into your analytical where you're boiling down all this data and facts and information that you're getting from these conversations. And you're going to be so effective at analyzing all of that and boiling it down to its essence and knowing what those conversations really mean and then translating that into influence. Because when these guys know that you have very intentionally invested in those conversations offline with them. You're remembering things because you're tracking it. You're checking in on them consistently. You're using those analytical skills to understand what it was they were trying to say. And you do that religiously and you come back and then you ask something of them they're going to have so much trust in you as a person and as a leader because you've been an authentic leader to them that that influence will be there. They're not going to hesitate and go, I don't know, he didn't say it that well. I'm not inspired. That's not what we're looking for. Influence what can be created by him being exactly who he is rather than trying to be the gregarious, well-spoken person that stands on the stage and they all go, let's do what he said. He's creating an influential relationship by investing in his strengths and providing a system that will allow him to be who he is, that those guys are going to trust and respect and they're going to want to follow him. So that's kind of how you want to approach things with people is what do you have to work with? What are you trying to accomplish and how do we get there with the least resistance in an effortless manner where you're living straight from your gut and authentically expressing who you are. And that's so much more effective anyway than being like, well, now I need to go take a class on being influential. (laughs) Uh, Joe Peachy, who I've had on the show, um, he's ranked the number three sales trainer in the world. And he's an old football coach. And um, he said, you know, uh, I can't teach talent and charisma. He's like, I don't have talent and charisma. He's like, but I can teach a process and then you got to apply who you are to that. He said, but if you have to rely on talent and charisma, no one's going to be able to sell. And so you have to learn that process and the system and then add yourself to it, whoever you are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's knowing that and having those words to describe it, the strengths language to figure out, oh, these are the tools that are at the most easy access to me that I can use, that I can leverage to get that desired outcome rather than, again, trying to figure out who am I not and how do I become that? Is there a lesson to become someone other than me? Well, no, but we can figure out how to define who you are and allow you to invest intentionally and aim those strengths towards those goals. 
Um, the, I don't know if you've read the, if you've read the book yet, I just started reading it, but Gallup's got a new book called it's the manager. Oh yes. It is in my car. I love it. It is so good. It's the data that's in there is incredible. And I'm putting together some programs just based on that, some workshops because I, I had a PR and ad agency. So big into branding and I started the branding from within and your yes. strengths and it all starts with your strengths and, and the, 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 the intersection of branding and employee engagement that they connect in there is so interesting because employees have no idea the vision of their company. Right. And it's like, yeah. if the employees don't know, they're not going to be engaged, but how are your customers going to know? Right. Right. It's amazing. It's story. It really is. <laughs> Absolutely. This organization that I mentioned earlier that has the 400 employees, we're using that book as kind of our Northern star in terms mm-hmm. of really investing in that mid-level manager, because those are some of the questions we're starting to ask them of, do you know the purpose and function of the organization? Like the why behind this? And even if you do, do you know how your you know, unique contribution does something towards those goals? Like how do we connect you to that why and the mission and the vision? And then how do we figure out how your strengths can leverage you to be a more effective player in that? But you know, the the data that I was geeking out about was that there's a 70% variance in team performance that's linked specifically to the manager. And so we often kind of invest a lot at the top and the, yeah. you know, the CEOs and the senior leadership team are feeling great about themselves because they're doing all this personal development and I'm going to be a better leader because I know myself better. But what about the people who have all these direct reports and <laughs> who are the ones who are responsible for knowing the brand and breathing life into it? Like, what are we doing for them and how are we connecting them to that bigger vision? And how are you branding from the inside out to make sure that your people are strong and powerful and sending the right message, not only internally, but externally as well. It's yeah. It's, the book is fascinating. fascinating. And, 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 you know, listen, I, I've probably been guilty about complaining about a cer- certain generations and, and certain <laughs> things, you know, the millennial generation, but yeah. there's a lot of folks who, who do it. And, and here's the deal. They're here and they're, they're here. working here. And the data on that they don't want bosses, they want coaches, they don't want just job satisfaction, Mm -hmm. they want uh, development. And yet you see, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal the other day. Now, this is Japan, obviously different culture. They have different things going on that I know nothing about. Mm -hmm. Um, But but I I believe there was a similar situation in like Silicon Valley where they were building nap rooms for the employees. And they're like, napping is important. We shall build nap rooms. And they built (laughs) nap rooms no one used them and no. they didn't employ it. And then it's like, we got a ping pong table. We got a foosball table, by the way, you kind of, we kind of look down on you if you use it and you're not at your desk till like eight 30. Uh-huh. But in the end, even if people are using it, it's deeper than that. Right. It's, it's, it's people don't want a foosball table. They want more from their job. They do. Yes. I was just, I'm like, so I got that book. I go on these uh, like bi-yearly retreats to New York City where I just clear my head and I go by myself and I sit in a coffee shop. So it's me and it's the manager at a coffee shop. <laughs> and I'm taking pictures and underlining stuff like a crazy person. But that whole chart that they have in the book where it talks about this is what jobs have looked like for so long. And this is what the millennials are really pushing and demanding. And you know, what's that exact type of thing of they're looking for people to coach them. They're looking for a passion, a purpose. They, you know, a lot of people view it as a selfish statement of what's in it for me, but we started through the chamber of commerce, a young professionals organization for 21 to 40 year olds. So the younger group is, you know, part of them are the millennials and I'm a millennial. So I have nothing to say about millennials, but I don't identify with some of the more negative things, but 
you know, when you are able to answer that question of what's in it for me with a purposeful, this is what's in it for you. This is our vision. We want to transform the world. We want to change this industry. We want to disrupt the way this is done. And we see you as being a crucial and vital part of that. That's what they're asking of what's in it for me. It's why am I here and why am I going to invest the best of who I am? And there was a quote that I saw that when you harness the millennials that you get the energy of a thousand suns. And I just loved it. It's kind of <laughs> cheesy, but it's so true that these are purposeful people. And yeah. when you're able to engage them in a way that really speaks to them, they want to bring the best of who they are, but they're going to need a lot of patience and coaching and investment. And you're right. They don't need the foosball table. They're not babies. We may think that they are. We may think that they want to just play, but they're right. looking for ways to connect their real life to their job, which is why organizations started doing this. And well, we have snacks at home. We play games at home. Let's see if we can, you know, kind of cobble together this real life experience in the job world. But those are just, you know, symbols of a real world, real life connection. They want their life and their work to be not mutually exclusive. They want to flow easily in and out of them. And so if we're able to figure out how to connect them to the purpose and the mission and coach them where they feel like their work is their life and their life is their work, then you're going to get so much more out of them than a foosball table would ever bring. And it's a, and it's a problem. And I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it. Um, and the Gallup data bears it out that, um, you know, the millennials want a feeling that they're working for a company that has a clear purpose that stands for something. Mm -hmm. Yet there's, I I can't remember the exact statistic. There's so many great stats in that book, but so many employees can't even tell you what the purpose of the company is. And when I work with like CEOs and presidents of small businesses, and they, they have no idea what the purpose of their company is. No. And making like, money. Yeah. That's it. Right. It's making money. And I'm all, Hey, I'm all for money. Money's great. But if you don't have something else that drives you, then your employees aren't going to feel it either. And they're going to want to, they're going to want to leave. And they are, companies are finding that out, right? It's like 33%, I think of millennials who don't know the company's purpose are more likely to leave within like six months or something like that. Absolutely, Yeah. Cause they're just wanting to plug into something. And when they can't, they're like, well, may as well just keep looking because now there's so many options too. You know, it's like companies have to start getting strategic about how they're going to answer those questions because there's so many remote positions. There's so many startups. There's so many people who are just creating their own thing that if you want to capture talent, you're going to have to really be able to answer those bigger questions that weren't being asked by previous generations, where those questions were, what's the retirement plan? How much am I going to get paid? What are the hourly requirements? What are the you know expectations of the position? Just very nuts and bolts. But the millennials aren't asking that. So the, the answers are going to have to be more strategically you know, put out there so that people can connect quickly to that and decide if they want to invest who they are. Because there's a lot of talent out there that's just kind of drifting and isn't anchored to anything right now because they haven't figured out how to find their spot. And companies aren't helping with that. What it, it, I always find it an interesting piece. And when I talk to people that, you know, you want to go in and help a team that may be having some engagement problems. Mm-hmm. To do that, not just to get hired as a coach, but to be effective, you have to have the manager, the buy-in of management at the top level. Yeah. Um, but in many cases, it's the manager is the reason that the employee engagement or that there is no engagement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
have you ever run into that where you go in and it's like, oh, yes, you hired me, but you're the problem. That's yes. a tough conversation to have, isn't it? it is. Yeah, it is a tough conversation to have because I think a lot of times, you know, people that are looking for a way to increase engagement are looking for a system or a process, not necessarily a cultural transformation. Mm. And I think that's the conversation that often has to happen. And I'm real upfront with my clients, like brutal of if this isn't going to be something that you want to live and breathe within your organization, I won't work with you. Like if yeah. this isn't something where you're going to be willing to look and kind of analyze and figure out how does this live beyond this one time half a day workshop or full day workshop, it's going to be a colossal waste of time. And if you're not bought in, if I can see in your face that you're just looking for something that might solve a problem, I'm not going to work with you. And it's so refreshing when you do find that CEO or that upper manager, or that person who has the influence who says, I see the value of this. And I want to make sure that I understand everything about my people, that I want to understand everything about myself so I can see where I am the problem. Um, one of my clients, he's just a phenomenal leader. And he was actually after my uh, certification was completed, you know, you have to do a certain number of coaching conversations right. graded in order to be officially a, a coach. And this man was my first one. And he's very powerful, very influential. And I was super intimidated. So we sit down and we go through his strengths and he walked away going, oh my gosh, I know everything I'm doing wrong within my organization. And over the past year and a half, he has absolutely transformed the culture of his organization, starting with himself, where he started realizing where his strengths, when we think about weaknesses, it's not the stuff at the bottom of the list. It's the stuff at the top that you are not handling well. Yeah. Where he was realizing that he was letting his strengths influence the company in very non-healthy kind of disruptive ways. And so he started harnessing himself and pointing himself in a different direction and then starting to invest in that strengths discovery for the next tier down and the next tier down and the next tier down. But yeah, I mean, if that leader isn't willing to do some serious introspection and realize what is my cultural com contribution to the organization, what am I creating? Uh, it's, it's really hard to make that a systemic change. That's so, that's interesting. You and I have talked to about the, about the strengths getting in your way and using yep. like responsibility. And it's like yeah. on a weekly basis, I have to look and I'm like, Oh, I'm doing there it because it of that, you know? And, and it's, yep. it's uh strengths. Strengths is used for evil instead of good. It can. It sure can. It can be a double edged sword for sure. But again, that's why it's so helpful. I always sound like a broken record by the time I'm done with the strength session. Cause I'm constantly saying that just your awareness is so much of the battle. Like once you realize why you do what you do, you can be so much more intentional about doing it the right way instead yeah. of doing it the wrong way or realizing why is this driving me nuts? Why do I have this pattern? Why do I keep defaulting to this type of action? Oh, it's my strength run amok. So, yeah. you know, before they rebranded to Clifton Strengths, it was called Strengths Finder for a reason because you are not just naturally strong in these areas. This is right. your area of greatest potential. And so raw talent can be exactly that. It can be raw, it can be destructive, it can be underdeveloped and not helpful. But once we define it, we invest in it, then it can turn into that strength and you can be very intentional with how it's used. So, uh, final question earlier in the interview, you mentioned, um, you know, knowing your strengths and, and who you are, what comes naturally can be very freeing. Yes. Um, strengths and superpowers is the first pillar of the freedom lifestyle that I write about in my book. Mm -hmm. So the one question, it's the only set question I ever have on this podcast that I ask every guest is what does the word freedom mean to you? 
Yes, that is a great question. And one I think I wrestle with on a daily basis. (laughs) So for me, I think in a nutshell, it's really being able to do exactly what I just have in my heart, whatever that looks like to be able to spend time with my family, to be able to do the work that I know I want to do without having to be a slave to either another person's schedule, the money that they determine I'm worth, the time that they allow me to have with my family or my, you know, building my relationships, but really being able to be completely a hundred percent present and authentic and making daily decisions that are in line with that internal vision of what I have. Because I think I've spent most of my life knowing what I would like my daily life to look like, but having to say, no, can't, there's not an opportunity. So I think freedom for me is being completely authentic, real, and present in a daily manner that allows me to take steps every day that get me to that ultimate vision of how I want to live my life and the impact that I want to have. That's awesome. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. Listeners want to learn more about you. Where's the one-stop shop they should go? Yes. So my uh, company is called Tribe, but I had to be, you know, weird and creative and not put the E on the end. There's like (laughs) the, you know, phonetic spelling. So if you go to Tribe with no E, Tribe Life, .co. That's the website. And so they can find me there. Well, awesome. Katie, thank you so much for joining us on the Freedom Club podcast. Thank you for having me. 